The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. We're here. Take out your Bibles, because we're going to be back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. As you're doing that, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, just raise your hand and our ushers will get a Bible for you. They'll get sermon notes for you or a pen if uh, you don't have one of those. And if you'll also do me a favor as we're working um, and kind of just getting settled along the middle aisles and along the uh, uh, outside aisles there, I kind of feel like one of those, uh, you know, flight attendants, like follow this way and over here are these black uh, connection books there. Those things, if you just uh, take it out, um, write down that you're here, uh, any information that you want to give us or you want from us, just mark it on there. But then at the bottom is a place for a prayer request. And uh, it would be uh, my great joy to pray for you this week. And so... If there's something that's in your life that you want to thank God for or that you need God's intervention in, I would love to join you in prayer. So just take it, write it down there. You have the whole service to do it and uh, rip off your little thing, put it in the uh, the flap on the other side of the page and uh, our our ushers will get them at the end. Make sure you pass it to your neighbors if uh, they haven't had a chance to write it down there. But all right, we all good? Let's do this. First Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm really pumped actually to be back in this book with you. Uh, this is what we do. It was a great series for us to kick off 2018, wasn't it? It was a good series for us for the month of, uh, of January, and I hope in some way you were impacted by it. By, impacted by the scriptures that we looked at and uh, um, uh, that those were meaningful to you. So were anybody impacted? Anybody? Uh, it, good, good. I'd love to know more about that. I'd love to hear about how God used that series or those passages uh, for uh, your benefit. But now we return uh, to this book. We started back here in the fall and then we took a break over the holidays and so we're back in it. If you weren't with us then, those messages are online if you're curious. But uh, our normal practice here at Redemption is sequential expositional preaching, meaning that we start at the the beginning of a book and we work our way through it, seeing the the big themes God is uh, not only teaching those uh, people um, that day, but also for us uh, here and now. And so we're jumping back into it. Like I said, we took a little halftime break, and uh, now we're going to, for the next couple months, look at the last two chapters. So, 1 Thessalonians is a very strategic book for us, isn't it? It's a very strategic book for us personally and where we are as a church. They were, the, just as some background here, the church in Thessalonica, which is in uh, modern-day uh, Europe there, right in the, off the Mediterranean Sea. It was a real church with real people. They were a young church, so are we. They were developing leaders, so are we. They were growing in their love for one another, and so are we. They were hungry for the Bible, and so are we, right? They were a multi-ethnic, multi-generational group of people, and so are we. They, They were eager for growth, and so are we. They were looking to the future, So are we, and they were excited to build what lasts, and so are we. But you know what else is uh, even more strategic for us or is strategic for what we're at today is they were learning to pray for one another, and so are we. 
And that's where we pick it up here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, as we continue this series, Build What Lasts. This is a typical structure, just as some background here, this is a typical structure of the way Paul wrote his letters. And so 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, some of those books with the names that are really hard to pronounce there in the New Testament, those were letters written primarily by Paul to churches that existed in that day. And his uh, structure in writing the letters was initially like the first half was teaching a lot of truth. This is who God is. This is uh, uh, what is true about God's character, about God's love, about who he is. Then there's like this prayer kind of transition midway through the book, and then it concludes with a lot of instruction on how we live our life. And so, like, for example, in a book, at the very beginning, there's very few commands. This is who God is, this is who God is, then a prayer, and then the last half of the book, then it's do this, live like this, don't do this, put on these things, take off these things, don't live in light of, of who you once were, but now live in light of who God is. We find ourselves at the transition, like I said. So let's read this prayer. Turn your attention, look here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. This is a great prayer. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. These few verses teach us how to pray for one another. These few verses here uh, uh, teach us how to pray short but powerful and robust prayers for one another. And so we're going to look both at the content but also the form. As we build what lasts, our church must be built through prayers for one another. But how? This is how we pray. First, we pray right now. We pray right now. That's point number one if you're, you're taking notes. See, Paul was asking God for three very specific things in these verses. And it comes right out of uh, verse 10 here. He says that he's praying. Look, look here, verse 10. He's, he's just been teaching. He's uh, talking about how much he loves them. He says, and we pray most earnestly night and day. He's praying all the time that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And right out of that, he tells them that he's going to pray, and then he shows them, this is what I am praying for you. And these all directly relate, he gives three things here, and they relate to the things that he's been talking about in the previous verses, his desire to see them again, right? Verse uh, 17 of chapter 2 says, but we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, but not in heart, and we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Okay, remember now that Paul and uh, uh, his his uh, uh, companions there had been in Thessalonica, had preached the gospel, believers uh, were, were made, and a church was formed. But then through a series of events, they got torn away. People didn't like that uh, uh, Christians were uh, rising up and a church was being formed, and so there was all this kind of persecution, trials, and uproar, and so Paul and his, his guys had to leave, but his desire was to be back with them. He had a great love for them, which we see there the second, this uh, make you abound in love. They had this mutual love for one another. 
They, not only was Paul, uh, uh, not only did he have this great affection for the people in Thessalonica, but that was reciprocated back to him. They missed him in his absence as much as he missed them. But he's also praying that they would be firm in their faith here in verse 13. And this is something that he's been talking about all along. In the midst of the persecution, he desired them to uh, continue to walk in a manner worthy of God. We saw that in chapter 2, verse 12. He then sends Timothy when he can't go to see them. He sends Timothy to encourage them. We saw that in chapter 3, verse 8. He, the report comes back that, wow, you are standing firm in the Lord. And he's praying that that would continue he tells them, but then he shows them here what he prays. He prays right now. Now, this is, this is something interesting because it always, I think, happens in a multitude of contexts in our life, right? It's, you know, we, we say this. We have great intentions. It's like, hey, let's hang out sometime, right? But then do we always go through with it? No, we get uh, sidetracked something. We're like, oh, man, that's really cool. Let's, let's hang out. And then it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Or we, we might say, excuse me, I really want to read that book. But then do we ever get around to it? No, we don't. Unless we put it right there on our shelf, we won't, or right there on our bedstand, we probably won't even read it. And sometimes if you're like me, you got a stack about this tall on your nightstand next to your bed with every intention to read it, but we don't get to it. And just like when we're hanging out, unless we like pull out our phone, schedule a time right there, we may not hang out. And this carries over into how we pray for one another as well. I mean, we have great intentions. We say this, we'll say, hey, I'm gonna pray for you. That Somebody shares something. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray uh, for you. They ask us and we'll say, yeah, I'll pray. But how often does it slip our minds? Quite a bit, right? Quite a bit, right? And I'm not saying that, that to necessarily uh, shame us because it happens all the time, but let's be a people that prays right now. That when somebody uh, shares something with us, whether it's over the phone, in person, through text, let's be a people that just prays right then and there. Commits to praying down the road as well. But let's be a people, as we share, that we are a people praying for one another in the midst of life before moving on to the next thing. Let's be a people who, who are unafraid wherever we are, at the you know, lunch table, to just lay our hand on a person, just bow our heads. Let's be a people who pray right now. When will we pray? Right now. That's how we pray. This is how we pray. Paul prayed. He stopped before moving on. He says, I want to pray for these people. Not only do we pray right now, but secondly, we pray truthfully. We pray truthfully. Our our, our power, or to have for our, our prayers to have power, rather. They need to be informed by the truth as found in the scriptures. God has revealed to us as well. He's revealed to us the truth. So we pray in light of the truth. And so in our verses here, uh, even though they're, it's small, they're short, he is praying these robust, scripturally true, theologically sound prayers for one another. We pray full of truth because this is what gives our prayers power. This is what gives our, our, our prayers to uh, the, the, the robustness that they need to make things happen. When we pray selfishly is to lose the guarantee that it will happen. God, would you do this? But if it's according to his will, what does uh, Jesus promise? If you pray according to my will, 
It will be done for you. He will hear us. If you ask anything in my name, Jesus said in John 14, 14, he will do it. And so look at here the content of his prayer. Who does he pray to in verse 11? He says, now may our God and Father, we pray to God and Father. And so these two titles here are who he's addressing, and they're very uh, strategic, I think. God being the one who is the orchestrator, God being the one who is the sovereign one, God being the king, but also the Father. God as our Father, the tender, loving, protective God that he is, who delights to hear from his children, who delights to give his children good things. This is strategic. As we pray, truthfully, we must remember this, that God is not just some distant guy, you know, up there saying, okay, give me your best shot. You know, as you pray to me, okay, nope, you didn't get that right. No, no. No, God is like a loving Father. I know some of us, that can be hard to uh, uh, just even put into our minds if we've maybe not had a great father, if we've not had a godly father, if we've had a cold or distant or even uh, absent father. But that is not who God is. He is the tender, protective, loving father that wants to give us good things. Not always giving us just exactly what we want, but always giving us exactly what we need. We remember this as we pray to God and Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's praying through Jesus. Do you realize this? This is a great profound scriptural truth that Christ not only won our salvation, but he is our mediator. He's our intercessor. He stands between us and, the, and God, God the Father, taking our prayers to him. He's praying on our behalf. That's what Christ is doing now. As we pray, we, Jesus takes him, and that's why we pray in his name. It's not like this magical potion that we add on to the end, but we're praying and saying, Christ, take these. If these, according to God's will, take these and present them to the Father, the one who orchestrates and directs all things. He is that gatekeeper. But by praying, in this way, remembering these things as we open our prayers and pray throughout, we are acknowledging his sovereign power over us. We pray truthfully. Look at these, these verbs. Look at how he prays here. Verse 11, we're not only is this who we're praying to and praying through, but he uses this, this uh, very specific word, direct direct our way to you. Underline that if uh, you're, you're of a mind to write in your Bibles. If you have our blue Bibles, you can write in them all you want, okay? Direct our way to you. This, we can just read over it, but remember what Paul is praying for here. He wants God to direct his way to you. We've already seen that Paul really wanted to be back with the Thessalonians, right? He's really wanted. He's tried and tried. Did he get anywhere? No, he's still stuck. He hasn't been able to get back to the people. So who could find the way? He tried and tried. Who could find the way? Who could make the way? Who could direct traffic in such a way that Paul could get back to Thessalonica? It's a Sunday school answer. It's easy. Who could direct it? Jesus. Yeah, God the Father. Jesus, the one who directs and orchestrates all things. Who's been in uh, green on a weekend lately? That place is packed out, right? Especially as you're like coming to the T there, right? What is it, Hunter Road and Green Road, that kind of go there? It can be chaos. And if you're trying to turn left, ain't gonna happen, is it? Try and try, you inch out a little farther, you try, you ain't gonna get through there. And so what does the city provide right out in the middle with a yellow vest on? 
Yeah, a traffic director, a policeman, someone who can orchestrate things to allow traffic to get through. And that's a simple example, but just imagine God, the sovereign orchestrator, the director of the universe, making a way, directing our paths. He is the great director of all things. What's interesting is he uses this word here. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, Paul, in another prayer, he says, would God direct your heart to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ? God is the one who can not only direct the events of our life, but the affections of our heart. He alludes to that here in chapter, or verse 12 as well. Not only is he asking uh, God to direct, but he's saying, God, would you, would the Lord make you, make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all? Too often our prayers say, God, help us to love that person. Help us to, uh, help, uh, help that person to change so I can love them more, Right? No, here he's praying, we, we should be praying, no, God, make me love this person more. Would you make my heart, would you bend my heart in such a way that my own selfish thoughts would be cast aside and that you would make my heart love this person, as difficult as it might be? And that kind of, that, that can rub us wrong, right? Some of us are a little surly when we read things like that. Ain't nobody going to make me do anything, right? Can't make me love a person. You can't make me do anything. The scriptures would teach otherwise. And these should, this should be how we pray truthfully to one another. Yes, we have a responsibility. No, we're not robots. But who are we to think that God can't make us feel a certain way? Who are we to think that God couldn't, uh, couldn't uh, uh, move in us what we, uh, what we feel towards a certain person, especially as we pray? Let's be clear. God can make you believe. He can make you change. He can make you feel. He, his will supersedes our own. He directs the events of the world and also the affections of our heart. We have a choice. We have, obviously, a responsibility in this. Our prayer should be such that, God, would you make my heart increase and abound in love for one another? Did they love one another? Oh, yeah, they did. They did. There's no denying that. He's already said this is, the, this is what, is, uh, what is true of us, and it was a mutual reciprocal love. And he's asking, God, would you cause that to increase? Would you cause that to overflow out of this understanding that you love us? Let's, guys and gals, beloved, let's be a people whose prayers are aligned with the truth. We need the truth, don't we? Not trite sayings, especially as we pray for one another. Sometimes we have these cliche things. Sometimes, you know, we, we pray well-meaning things. But what we need as we pray for one another is truth-filled prayers. As you pray for your spouse, say, God, I'm going to make my love for her increase. As you're praying for your, your children, say, God, make my patience abound more and more. As you're praying for this job situation, say, God, direct the events for this for your glory. Make me see your plan. Make me see your glory. Make me see what you are doing in this situation. God, would you do it? We pray truthfully. And in so doing, we also pray dependently. 
We pray dependently. As we are praying in light of the truth, we, we, we realize we can't do this on our own, and therefore we, we, we pray, and by doing so, it's the very act of praying. We are saying, God, we need help. We don't have it all figured out. That's what God is doing while we pray. We don't direct anything. We can't make anybody do anything. Only God can. We want to be the executive director of the universe, don't we? We want to uh, control things. We want to direct things. And then God says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I occupy that chair. That's my office is the executive director of the universe. And so to pray then is an act of humility. See, Paul's desire is to be with the Thessalonians, isn't it? And that tries your mind. There's not happening. He prays and he prays. No change. No change in the circumstances. You ever been in a spot like that? You ever been in a spot where you've tried and tried to go see someone, or you tried and tried to get a, get a new job or get that promotion, or you tried and tried to move into that house or move out of another house, and you've tried and tried and nothing. You've prayed and you've prayed and no change. But as you pray, what is changing? You are. As we pray dependently, as we pray to the Lord saying, God, you have to come through in this situation. And as we're praying that God is changing the person praying. And God often does that before he changes the situation. God changes the person praying before he changes the situation. It's Paul's desire to see them so that his dependence upon the Lord. His desire to see them was increasing. His love for them was increasing. And so too did his dependence upon the Lord. He was leaning into the Lord more, saying, you've got to come through. And so as we pray for one another, let's be a people who pray dependently. Let's be a people whose prayers echo these things, in essence of saying, God, if you don't come through in this situation, then I'm through. I have nowhere to go if you don't come through with this. That's faith, but it's also a confidence in the ability of the Lord to come through on our behalf and not on our own. Isn't that the place that we want to be? Isn't that the place where we want to pray, praying dependently? God, come through. Do what only you can do. God is changing us through our prayers. He's working out his will in our life. But look here at verse 13. We pray with confidence in the future. We pray with confidence in the future. What Paul is doing now in this verse is he's actually opening up to us now the theme of the last few chapters, what we're going to be getting into. The so that there, look in, in verse 13, it begins with a so that, that's the result of the first two requests, okay? It's just logical grammar, you know, so that is a, uh, it, it's to show a, a result or what uh, is going to happen um, as a result of the first two things. And so he's the first two requests, he says, I want to see them again. I want our mutual love to grow. And the purpose of that, the purpose is that those things, those requests is for a future glory where Christ will present us to the Father, pure, spotless, and blameless. Do you see that here? He says, so that he may establish or strengthen 
your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. And so he's saying, we want these things. I want to come together because as we are together, our love is growing for one another. This is making us more like Christ. And this is the great hope that we have in the gospel, right? And so what he's, he's saying here is it's like the groom bringing his new beautiful bride home. Christ as the groom, we as the bride, these things. He's saying, it's as if he's bringing it home to show off to his father. And so all the, the prayers for change now are like those preparations that a bride goes through for the wedding, right? What do all you ladies do? You did your nails and you got your hair did up and, and uh, makeup put on and all that hullabaloo that takes place. And it's all preparation. It's all a transformation, all a change so that on the big day when you are presented, you are pure, spotless, blameless. And the picture is true here. Even this is what Christ is doing. Christ is a groom. He has gathered a bride. That's what the church, the Bible uses this illustration or this, uh, this picture of a bride for who we are collectively as the church, as a people of God, that God is, is working out. Christ is, is uh, transforming us till we might be blameless in holiness. This is our great hope. This is our confidence in the future, right? This is that final aspect of our salvation. So there's a past aspect, right? So as we think about what is the gospel, who are we as, as uh, believers, what has Christ done on our behalf? Well, you know, first there's a past element, right? We are justified, that we were declared right with God through what we did, that we are freed from the penalty of our sin, right? We, don't, we won't be held accountable for that. Christ paid the penalty. There's a present aspect to our salvation also now, right? This is our sanctification, what God is doing in our life through the Holy Spirit. It's why we uh, read our Bible. It's why we pray. It's why we come to church, all these things, because we know that we are still a work in progress. And so through our sanctification, God is uh, making a reality what is already true of us positionally. And he is making us more holy as he is a... Uh, uh, purging us of sin and causing us to live more like Christ. This is the great hope that we have now that we've been freed from sin's power. But our future hope, which is what he's referring to here, is also an aspect of the gospel. It's also an aspect of our salvation, that what we are experiencing here and now is not the final reality, is it? that we have a great hope and a great confidence for what God is going to do in us when we will be free from sin's presence. This is what we call glorification, the final future hope-filled aspect for what we look forward to. We look forward to this day when Jesus will come for us and all his saints and he will take us home with him. More about the specifics of that in the next coming chapters. But it is a great and glorious day that we look forward to when Christ will return with a shout, with a trumpet sound, with the angels, and will take us home with him, both the dead in Christ and us, and we will be presented blameless in holiness, not based on what we did, right? But based on what who did? What Christ did on our behalf. And as we think about that, as we think about what God is doing here and now in our life, as somebody shares a, 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 a situation, a circumstance that they are going through right now in this life, 
a trial, something, setback of some sort, a sin that they are struggling with. We pray in light of the future, truthfully of what God is doing here, dependently upon what God is doing uh, in our life and that he's the only one that can come through, but also with a great confidence in the future that one day all of this will be made right. That's the silver lining that we have, that one day we will be with the Lord. And so as we pray for one another, we keep that eye toward the future, putting this situation in the context of all that God is doing and all that he is doing for his glory and how this might be preparation for that, ridding us of the sin that won't be admitted into heaven and refining us more into the likeness of the beauty of Christ. So as we pray, we pray, God, we know you have something better ahead for us. So carry this person now, carry us now on the journey to get there. That's the great hope. That's the confidence. This is how we pray with confidence in the future. So how do we pray? Well, let's say, let's, let's just be clear about how we don't pray. When we pray for one another, it's not that we pray by, you know, changing our voice to sound all high and mighty. It's not about, you know, using all those these and thous and going all King James style as we pray for one another. The point is, it's not about us. It's not about long, repetitious prayers. Paul prayed this short, robust, profound prayer that pleased God. It's not about sounding smart to impress the person that you're praying for. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray. But it is about praying right now, truthfully, dependently, with confidence in the future. See, prayer is about communicating, right? It's like communicating with the Lord. And so our spiritual vitality uh, depends upon this communication. Can a relationship survive without communication? Not for very long. Not very well, not very healthy. So prayer is just about communicating with the Lord in a genuine way, in the moment, with truth, with dependence, and with confidence. And so we must be a praying people, willing to pray for one another. And so, so to build what lasts requires that we pray, that we be built prayers for one another. Can we do that? Can we be a people that are unafraid to pray for one another? And we are a people that are dependent upon the Lord to come through. And so we're asking people, come pray with me. Come join me in this. Would you pray for one another? And so we're going we're gonna to actually do this as we uh, close our service here in just a minute. Know that there are many things that we are going through. And so we just want to model this as we uh, pray for each other. And so what we're going to do as we uh, close here in just a minute is I'm going to ask Aaron to come up and we're going to uh, sing uh, the beginning of a song called Come You Sinners. We're just going to pray to prepare our hearts to be a praying people. And then I'm just going to ask a few uh, people here. Uh, I've already asked them. They're going to come and they're going to uh, pray for us. We're going to pray through some specific topics of uh, things that maybe you are going through. But we want, to be, we want to be a praying people, willing to pray for one another. So let me pray as we uh, wrap up the message, as we move to uh, singing.